This morning, as we come here to, well, moving from Luke 21, we're going to talk about the, the preservation of the saints. So if you can just put that next slide for me, please, the title slide for where we're at. That's, uh... Now, last week, when we were in Luke chapter 21, we looked through the section that Jesus talks here about the persecution that comes to the believer and that that is going to characterize the last days. And that is pretty much characterizing everything from the time Jesus uh, came the first time to the time he will return, and that this persecution of the people of God began uh, immediately and quickly. And so as Jesus taught us through these things, as we looked through them and considered them last week, we saw that Jesus taught us that that this persecution that would come to the people of God would be intense, it would be hurtful in many ways, not just physically, but emotionally, and also very personal. And so knowing that that was to come, he's charged us to stand strong, to be strong in the face of these persecutions and these trials and these temptations. And he's encouraged us, not just that we need to stand strong, but he's encouraged that we can stand strong because he's standing with us. He will be with us through no matter what we face for his name's sake. Now what I want to do over this week and next week is really focus on one of the truths that Jesus puts in just a short statement here in verse 19 of Luke 21. So after he's told us all about what is to come and establish us, I'll read verse 18. He says that, But not a hair of your head shall be lost... By your patience, possess your souls. It's that last idea, verse 19 there, that I want to spend a little more time on, considering some of the great doctrines that are bound up in that short statement. By your patience, possess your souls. That statement expresses what we commonly in in historical terms, and theological terms, have called the perseverance of the saints. This is that those who truly believe in Jesus, who are truly saved, will persevere to the end. It's one of the great uh, truths, it's one of the great foundations of the Christian faith, the perseverance of the saints. When we grasp uh, an understanding of what this statement means, it fills us with encouragement, it fills us with, with strength and resolve. These words which Jesus gives us here, by your patience, possess your souls, are a great encouragement. We express it this way in our statement of faith, and that's on the next slide there. This has two slides to it. So in our statement of faith, which we draw from the New Hampshire Baptist Confession of Faith of 1839, it says it this way, we believe that such only are real believers as endure unto the end, that their uh, persevering attachment to Christ is the grand mark which distinguishes them from superficial professors. Then it continues, that a special providence watches over their welfare and they are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Now, in that statement, you'll see that there are two things going on there. There are two things at work together. And this is what we want to talk about tonight, or today, these two things. We're going to look at the first side today, 
and the second side next week. So notice that there are two things going on. There's our side of it and there is God's side of it. If we go to that next slide, that'll illustrate a little bit of what I mean here. There are two sides to what goes on when we talk about the perseverance of the saints or eternal life. So like so much of what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches us, there, we see it from two perspectives. We see it from God's perspective and our perspective. So when we talk about our salvation, we see the salvation shown to us from God's perspective. That is, that it is his choice, that he has done it, that he does all of the work. But then we also see our perspective, that we believe. So there is God's part and our part. And the same is true when we talk about how our salvation is kept, how we endure to the end. There are two sides. Our side is what we often call the perseverance of the saints or the enduring of the believer. That is, to know that you are a true believer. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, you will keep with him to the end. And so from our perspective, it looks like we are pursuing Christ and we are, in fact, pursuing him to the end. From God's side of the perspective, and this is what we might often term the eternal security of the believer, this is the side where he keeps us. So it's not us holding on to him, it's God holding on to us. This is, you say, often what we call the security or the preservation of God's side. It's important that we understand both perspectives and see both sides together and the balance of them together. I much prefer, as I was listening through some sermons and things this week on, on this, one of the great pastors of, of the, the pastor not so long ago, S. Lewis Johnson, says he prefers not to talk about eternal security or of the preservation of the saints, but simply eternal life. And so what we're going to talk about is the doctrine of eternal life. What does it mean to have your salvation secure and certain? keeps us, as we put these two into balance, it keeps us from the extremes of one side or the other. If I look at one side too much, if I look too much at uh, the, the striving side, the perseverance side, and put too much emphasis on that, then we might come to the point where I can lose my salvation. And there are many out there that believe that. Um, this is the, the truth that the Catholic Church teaches, that you can lose your salvation persevere as well as some of the more Wesleyan type churches of Protestants. If we go to the other side and we talk about about how God holds on to us and we focus too much on this side of the security where it's all God holding us and, and not see our side, well then we come to the extreme where once saved, always saved, no matter what. And so it doesn't matter how I live my life or what my life looks like by the end, as long as I've made a profession of faith, well, then all is okay. And that is the extreme. Both of those are wrong. Both of those are outside Bible truth. We need to bring the two together and see the balance of both. And that's what we want to do in these next two weeks, is look at the doctrine of eternal life. How do I keep my salvation? How is it that I will be saved to the very end? And so we're going to balance these two. The preservation of the saints, and that is God's side, and that's what we'll look at today. And the perseverance of the saints, and that is our side, and that's what we will look at next week. We persevere because God 
preserves. That's the basic understanding of what is it? we persevere because God preserves. And so I've got three thoughts we'll look at this morning to see how we can know that we are secure in Christ. These three thoughts we're going to draw from Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, so you can turn over there to Ephesians 1. We're going to read verse 13 and 14 and draw three truths here about how we can know that God will keep us secure. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Let's have a word of prayer as we continue. Our Heavenly Father, We come to this topic this morning with great anticipation because this is a truth of your word which gives us great encouragement and strength. We look into what you have done for us and how you keep us and keep us safe. We pray that you would encourage us, strengthen our hearts today in your truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm just going to have the simple outline here, the main points behind us. And you can go to the next slide for me, please. And with each of the top ones, uh, and then, sorry, did that all come up there? All right, go one more, and then one more. All right, and then one more. All right, thank you. All right, good. So this is the first thing we want to consider here when we talk about the preservation of the saints. So this is God's side of the work. How do we know that God is going to keep us? The first is the provision of God. The provision of God. When we're talking here about our eternal security, when we're talking about eternal life, we're talking about a gospel issue. This, this topic which we're addressing here is for believers. This is, this is not for those who uh, have simply... Uh, professed to believe or who like Jesus or this is this is for genuine believers if you haven't genuinely believed Jesus Christ if you haven't as Paul writes here trusted in him heard his word and and taken it in then the idea of security has no truth for you at all no effect on you at all If you have never believed Jesus, which is why Paul starts this point here with, in him you also trusted. That following the the first few verses of Ephesians, which tell us what God has done in our lives and salvation. After you heard, and heard is to take it in, to believe it, to let it become part of who you are. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. So this is not something that is, is uh, effectual for those who just go to church or for those who uh, like the idea of God or Jesus. This is for those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, who genuinely believe Jesus as Savior. For those who have repented of their sins and found, as he says in verse 7, redemption and forgiveness of sins. Which means we have looked at the gospel, the good news, and seen the bad news with the good news. That is that we are sinners. 
We've accepted that truth and believed that. that the gospel delivers us from that sin. I've always loved how Paul particularly puts this idea of, of our salvation. And he uses words like in chapter 2 of Ephesians. He says, you were made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Before Jesus Christ, we were dead. The gospel is the good news of hope. It's the good news of purpose and salvation. And it is a very powerful truth. What we're talking about here is we're talking about the the life-changing, powerful truth of the gospel. The gospel does change lives. I heard uh, this week one man describing how he was talking to a friend, and a friend was asking him uh, about his salvation, about his security in salvation, how he knew that he would be saved all the way to the very end. And the, the man asked his believing friend, he says, so if, if you're saved, then you can do whatever you want. And the saved man replied to his friends, yes, but what I want has changed. And that's what happens. Our desires change. The gospel changes our life entirely. So, in a sense, it it is true to say, if you get saved, can you do whatever you want? And in a sense, that is true. Because, yes, what I want as a true believer is to please God. So my life will look like someone who wants to please God. The gospel is not just ideology, but transforming lives. For I am not ashamed of the power of God, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. That's why the Bible uses terms of transformation. Jesus talks about new birth. Paul uses words like new creation. Because the gospel is something which changes us fundamentally. It makes us new people. We need to believe its power. Now, because we're talking about the gospel and we're looking at here for believers, the the truth that comes here is, yes, this is a gospel truth, but you understood the truth. You heard it, Paul says in Ephesians. You took it in. You believed. So salvation comes when we believe God's word. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You understood what it meant. You heard the gospel and you understood that God is true and holy and just and righteous. And you understood that you were not and that you needed his salvation. And you believed that and you trusted him and you turned your life by repenting from your sin and believed him. You found hope and you found truth. You know, we we talked last week about the persecution that comes with the believer and sometimes that gets us down and we think if, I, if I'm talking then people are going to ridicule and people are going to turn against me. But we forget, don't we, that you believed. Somebody told you. Somebody told you the gospel and they had heard thousands perhaps reject that very same message. And somebody told you and you believed. So, yes, there are going to be times when we speak the gospel and we get rejected, maybe ridiculed or or maybe worse, perhaps. But always remember, the gospel is powerful and it breaks through the darkness. People will believe, believe the power, take heart, not all will reject. 
But here's where we're getting at. Why do we start here, by, uh, if we're talking about the end, start talking at the beginning? You know, we've read just verse 13 and 14 of Ephesians 1. But I want to take you back a little bit more just to show you a difference here. Verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Ha- uh, verse 9 says, Having made known to us the mystery of his will. Uh, in verse 11, In him also we obtained an inheritance being predestined. And verse 12, that we who first trusted. And then we come to verse 13, in him you also trusted. We have a shift here. He shifted from using we, we, we. And now as he gets to this part where he's going to talk about what happens in the long term, it's no longer we, but it's you. It becomes a much more personal conversation here. He's emphasizing the personal nature of all of this. All of this, from beginning to end, is for you. For you. See, the gospel is deeply personal in every aspect, from our perspective and from God's perspective. It is deeply personal. It is God working in you. It is His power at work in you personally. It also means it's something that only you can do. Only you can believe the gospel. Only you can follow Christ. No one else can do it for you. But you see, when we start talking about the preservation, that is the the keeping of us saved so that we will inherit eternal life at the end, preservation is a personal issue. See, what's happened when you got saved? When you believed Jesus Christ as your Savior and you repented of your sins and you followed him, what what happened there? The Bible tells us a number of things. You are in Christ. You are his. You become part of his family. You are the object of his love. See how deeply personal salvation is. Salvation is not a catch-all. Salvation is not, I'm going to do this, I'm going to throw a net out and just catch people and bring it. It's deeply personal. When you get saved, it becomes a very personal relationship between you and God. So if this is so personal, if God has taken you out of darkness and out of the, the, the family of sin and he has brought you into his family... He is not going to let you go. This is the provision of God. He has provided for your eternal salvation or your eternal uh, security in his salvation, in the very relationship which he has made possible. The second thing we see this morning, and this is the next on the slide, is the protection of God. The protection of God. Verse 13 continues, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. One of the great themes of the Olivet Discourse, what we've been looking at in Luke 21, is the underlying theme which runs through the whole thing about the presence of God with you at all times. In Luke 21, where we have been been reading and studying in the past weeks, uh, we read just a moment ago in verse 18, he says, 
that even though all this persecution will come, even though the trouble will come, he says, not a hair of your head will be lost. We considered that last week, noting that what he was saying was not even the most insignificant part of you will be lost from his control or will be lost from his understanding or his care. One of the immediate results of salvation. So one of the things that happens at the very instant, at the moment you believe Jesus Christ is your Savior, one of the things that happens at that very instance is the presence of the Holy Spirit within you. God's presence is with you. He is present with you. Which is why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, is, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have from God and you are not your own. You know, we've been reading from, or learning from Luke chapter 21, which is just a couple of days before Jesus is crucified. On the night before he is crucified, or the night he is captured and taken in, this is what he tells his disciples then. John 14, verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit comes to those who believe. He abides with us and in us. God's very presence is part of your salvation. God is not separate from you in that he he saves you and he's looking on and he's just going to kind of move the bits around for you so you can make your way. He is with you, present with you very personally. He does not hold back from you. There is no, uh, like some believe, no no spirit baptism or second blessing that comes afterwards where you need more of God. When you get saved, God pours into you his very presence. God is working in you. And the reason that Paul tells us that God seals us or gives us the presence of the Holy Spirit is because the, the Holy Spirit is there to apply the glories of salvation. So all of the blessings, everything that God has promised that would come with your salvation, the Holy Spirit's job is to apply it in your life, to make it a reality, to make it truth. So the presence of the Holy Spirit, he's, he's not there just to kind of be there. And so that we can say, I've got God's presence with me. And so we can say, well, he's here. The Holy Spirit's presence is there Actively, he is applying everything God promised. Making sure that everything that God said would be true happens. He's taking God's word and he's applying it into your life. He's opening your eyes so that you can see the truth and understand the truth. He's strengthening you and transforming you inside. He is present in your life in power. Which is why when we read last week in Luke 21 verse 14, it says, Therefore... Settle it in your hearts. So this happens when we find ourselves in trouble. Settle it in your hearts, not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. 
Presence means he knows all that's going on. He sees all that's going on. His presence isn't just to keep an eye on us. His presence is to aid us in living for him. Knowing this power comes by submitting and obeying. So when he says here in, in verse 13, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, what he's saying is that we are his. You are his. A seal, even today, is a mark of identity and ownership. When you put the seal on something, it says this is who it belongs to. This is what it's for. This is our mark of security on that. So when Paul writes here and says that when you get saved, the Holy Spirit is God's seal on you. That is, it is his mark of identification. It is, you are his. You don't belong to anyone else. Satan has no say over you. Your life has been given up. You belong to him. You are identified with him. You are not your own. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us. You've had a change of identity. A new person. You are God's child. Now, if that's true, which it clearly is, if he has put his seal on you, if you are identified with him, if you are his, then he is responsible for you. He's responsible for you. You come under his authority. You come under his protection. The Holy Spirit is God's promise to protect you. To keep you until the very end. Yesterday at, at work, we, would, we did a stock take. We got everybody in stock take. Now, we, we sell nuts and bolts, and they come in, in boxes, and we put um, a, a seal, a label over the boxes. The reason that we have that seal label over the boxes is, you know, so that when that box goes out, we can guarantee that what we say is in that box is what's in that box. It doesn't get lost or loose. So if we say there's 100 bolts in there, when you get it, there's 100 bolts in there because it's sealed closed. It's security. And this is what God is telling us about the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, he seals you so that what starts here is what makes it to the end. He protects all the way to the end. So we are secure because of the uh, provision of God. We are secure because of the protection of God. Finally, we are secure because of the promise of God. Verse 14 says, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? He will not lose you. He will not lose you. You don't have to keep him. We will balance this all next week when we talk about perseverance. But you do not have to hold on to him. It doesn't belong to you to hold on to God to keep your salvation. You are involved in your salvation. But it all comes down to God. Your salvation doesn't depend on you. You know, like I, I said when we started here, and this is, this is very true. If I could lose my salvation, I would. Very easily. But it doesn't depend on me. The salvation that I have to get me to the end is not about me. I didn't start salvation. I didn't create it. I didn't build it. It's not up to me to accomplish it. It's not dependent on me 
to do anything for it and I can't complete it. So it's not about me, it's about God. You do not have to keep yourself. Salvation in the end doesn't come down by how long I can hold on to God. We sang the song last week which expresses that. He will hold me fast. He will keep you. Completion of salvation is as dependent on God as every other part of salvation. If I believe that getting saved is God's work, then it is also his work to finish it, to keep it. John 10 is one of my favorite passages of scripture, verse 27 through 30, where he talks about being the great shepherd and that he holds on to us. And that his people are in his hand and in the Father's hand and no one can pluck them out of my Father's hand, he says. Or Romans 8, verse 38 and 39, which we sang in part just a moment ago. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, pardon me, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me From the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jude 24, which we often read as a benediction, says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And what is he going to do in the end? Present you faultless before the presence of his glory. What is his purpose? I'm not just going to keep you. I'm going to keep you so that at the end I will present you to the Father in glory. God is going to finish what he started. He will finish what he started to bless you beyond measure. Because of the Spirit, we know some of the blessings now. He applies those to us. First Peter, Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. He is the promise we will know entirety of God's goodness to us. He is going to make us what he intended us to be. God hasn't left out one detail of your salvation. So when God decided and decreed that he was going to save from sin, he wasn't going to do it half-heartedly. Say, well, I'll I'll bring them out and and I'll give them a chance to come out of sin, but I'm not going to do anything to make sure they stay that way. God hasn't left one single detail out of your salvation. He began it in eternity past when he determined it and decreed it and chose it and planned for it. He did it through this thing, and he has, through the the work of Jesus Christ, will complete it. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says to us, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
Because God doesn't intend to let you go. He doesn't intend to let you go on your own or, or to have to hold on for yourself. He says, I'm going to hold you until I finish what I started. God has given you eternal life. And no amount of persecution you endure can take that away. And no stumbling through this life can take that away when you are his. He guarantees that what he began in your life, he will finish in your life. He will not lose you. Next week, we'll look more deeply at the the perseverance side and consider our part in reaching the end. And see what God does in our lives. But Paul finishes this thought naturally with praise. So he says in verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The preservation of your life brings God glory. He is not glorified by losing you. Brings God no glory to partly save. Brings God glory to completely save. He is not glorified by not keeping his promise. He's glorified by keeping what he promised. He is glorified by keeping his people to the very end. As a believer, you sit here with the greatest promise of God. What he began in you, he will complete to the very end. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be reminded a little this morning the great security that you give us in you. That what you began in our salvation, saving us from sin, you intend to take to the very end to save us entirely from sin. That when you say that we have eternal life, That's exactly what you mean. You give us eternal life. So we thank you when we praise you. We pray, dear God, that our lives, as we are pursuing you to the end, would bring glory to you as people see in us you keeping your promise. Encourage us and strengthen us as we live for you to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.